Welcome to the Other Border Wall podcast. We are a multicultural group of artists in conversation as part of our ongoing creative resistance to borders. Here we speak of the bridges and walls we encounter. We are Tarane Adia, Leah Patgorski, and Jennifer Nagel Myers. Before I am an artist, I am a craftsman. My work is about intersecting experiences and the rediscovery and shaping of relics into new forms as a way of self-questioning. Many things can exist as relics. In my vocabulary, relics can be ancient artifacts, but they can also be metaphors for objects in our memory. These are the words of Jaime Guerrero, who is our guest today on the Other Border Wall podcast. A little bit more about this amazing artist. He's a glass artist who was born in Los Angeles, California. He's recognized for his versatility in crafting unique glass sculptures, and he began his career at the California College of Arts and Crafts in 1994. He is also he has studied with masters Checo Onguero, Pino Senoreto, and Ben Moore. He attended he attended Pilichuk School of Glass and was nominated for the Corning Award. We got connected with him here at the OBW of the Border Wall podcast because of his amazing exhibit at the Pittsburgh Glass Center. So we're really excited to share this conversation with this incredible artist and enjoy. On your website, you say, before I'm an artist, I'm a craftsman. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, about what that means. Sure. Um, I feel like the mainstream art world kind of disregards craft or kind of puts it on a lower scale of the hierarchy system. And um, for me, it's kind of the most important thing. You know, it's one of the most important things, if not the most important uh, attributes to my art making process. Um, I feel that you know, people that work with their hands are kind of undermined or looked down upon or we're at the bottom of the totem pole normally. And um, so I, I really value craft. I really value people that work with their hands and that uh, acquire a skill level to produce beautiful works of art. And um, so my, 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 I guess my main direction is um, producing, being, getting to the point or in my career where I, where I, being able to uh, proudly say that I can produce the ideas that I have in 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 glass. Um, so it's it's um, it's a combination of uh, good craftsmanship, uh, the dexter- having the dexterity to be able to produce your ideas in a way that they're going to have impact, in a way that people are going to appreciate and uh, connect. Because I feel like when we work with our hands, you know, it's easier to connect with people. It's a way to kind of, to, to have that impact. Um, so I, I, I always see myself as a craftsman before an artist. Um, it's kind of what I, what, what I feel that we're born with. I was wondering about your work and, um, how maybe it, if it connects in ways to your own childhood or you know with the, with the imagery 
or if it's more if that's more purely a response to the stories of of today um i think it's all connected um i definitely feel intuitively uh i work in an intuitive way so um, um i definitely feel that i have um influences of my childhood and my my upbringing and my background um but so in that in relation to that i feel that i also um like to reflect on important issues of our time uh, things that are um happening uh, currently that that um that i can relate to myself and what i understand so it's it's having that knowledge and having that being able to connect to that information in a, in a, in a certain way that that i can convey that in my work and did you uh, i mean i actually I, I saw the show at the the glass center here um just so nice to see it in person and and revisit now um and i was wondering if you had any experiences with that where young people like having a profound moment with it or like coming to the show and kind of like how they interacted with it yeah actually um i do have a thinking back to the first iteration of this exhibition uh, or that exhibition at the pittsburgh glass center called cuando el rio suena but the first the first iteration of the exhibition was actually in los angeles so i've had three exhibitions on this subject matter and um the first one was in la um, at, a, at the Gallery Craft in America Center. And um, we invited local kids. There were um, maybe in ESL classes um, that are predominantly Spanish-speaking kids um, that, that pretty much all come from immigrant families uh, or are immigrants themselves. Um, and so we invited these, these kids, about maybe three groups of 20 kids each, and um, I showed them the exhibition and I, I was asking them questions like, um, you know, in, in what, just to give a little visual, um, in my exhibition, in these exhibitions of uh, immigration um, uh, subject matter that, I'm, that I work with, or I've been working with recently, um, I have a fence that has some glass sculptures of children um, basically caged in these um, chain link fence fences and i asked the, the kids um does everybody does this seem familiar to anybody and everybody raised their hand and um and so i i feel I, and in, in that conversation <sighs> i kind of felt that everybody kind of understood 100 percent what i was trying to do because they had gone, a lot of a lot of them had gone through this to that process, and so it was very um, rewarding and very uh, uh, you know humbling at the same time to to be able to have that impact on them and make them feel like you know somebody somebody's making art about about what you went through, and uh, one of the kids asked me why I'm doing it or who I'm doing it for. <laughs> And I told them that I was doing it for them. Um, so, you know, cre wow. bringing that awareness, um, uh, making that uh, the, 
these issues uh, more accessible through art um, and, and telling people their stories is basically what my my main purpose was or is. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so inspiring. Thank you. I I had a question. Um, what is what is glass and glass art something that the 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 the, the students or the children had experienced or seen before, or was it an introduction to glass as art as well? I think it was an introduction. I think uh, I didn't ask that question if anybody specifically has seen glass blowing or the process, um, but but I feel that many of them um, had not seen glass in in this in this light. Um, just to kind of give a little perspective. Um, there is probably around three people that I know in the world that have made life-size class sculptures. So it's a very wow. rare thing in itself to be able to accomplish that. Um, it's, it's, very, um, it's, it's a very difficult task to make something that's life-size, um, that's four feet tall and actually looks like a, a child or a person or... Um, so there, so there's very few people that that, that can produce um, something like that. That is not, and it's not blowing a mold. No. Wow. And and we'll we'll include a link to your website and videos in the show notes so people can see what we're talking about. Um, it's really incredible to watch. It's it's like an athletic event. It's like a ballet. It's like an orchestra <laughs> playing. It's, it's like a sporting event. It's so many things in one. It's, it's amazing <laughs> to, to watch. When, Jaime, when you do a piece that's life-size, how many people are working with you on it? Ooh, how, uh, how, go ahead. how does that team, yeah, the team, like the team size you need to get that? Yeah. Um, so I initially started this work, um, Craft in America, uh, the PBS uh uh, segments that they do uh, did a segment on, on on my work and I was able to uh, mm -hmm. get a residency at Corning Museum of Glass uh, to to uh, invite Craft in America to film me working with the team there and um, I I that was the first time I actually put a life-size complete uh, figure together using their team I believe there was a total of wow. maybe um, five five people total, um, but those th those guys, uh, George Keenan, he's, he's he was the main the main guy there uh, of of the team, and he uh, is great to work with. He knows exactly like you know it, it's it's amazing when you can work with a team where you, there's very little has to be said. Like yeah. you have your idea, you you kind of break it down in the beginning, you kind of just go over everything and then everybody just goes to work and it's clockwork. And if you see one of these videos, you know, yeah. you think we're reading each other's minds because it's just, everything's just kind of happening the way it's supposed to and things are just flowing and it's a very little gesture or, a, or just like a, a small like comment and uh, the guy who's, who's helped helping me make the pieces, the main guy, he's just, okay, got it. That's it, you know, and we're doing. 
but it takes it takes a long it takes years and years of you know working with glass and understanding uh the material to really kind of be able to work in that way um so so a lot of you know at the pittsburgh glass center i, I attempted to do a life-size glass figure as well and before i even attempted it I was making a lot of the parts with one of my one of my my assistants, uh, Sam Mackerton. Um, so him and I worked for pretty much six months before we even got to the point where we're going to attempt like putting a whole piece together in one shot. And we and we did fine. Like at that point, we were, um, you know, we were at that level where where you know he kind of got it real quick. He he wasn't. He didn't really come from a sculpture background, so I had to train him a little bit to work uh, sculpturally. But once, once we had a you know some time, um, we built up that chemistry, and then wow. we were able to successfully uh, produce it. Now I just feel really confident working with him that we can do very, very um, high-level pieces and and be successful. Um, well, the next question that I had written down that was, it's very related, was just about how the fragility of glass relates to the subject matter that you work with. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of people, when they do glass, um, it's very easy to get lost in decoration and, and uh, the beauty of glass and uh, the, the, the aesthetics of glass, if you will. Um, so, you know, for me, making these 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 pieces and working with the subject matter of immigration children or um, migrant children coming from other countries and being detained and um uh all of these current issues that, that we're seeing um you know we we hear about these things in the news and a lot of these 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 issues get politicized highly politicized um so we hear second and third hand um what people think and how so-and-so is using this for political reasons um, but we never hear the actual story of the child and yeah. uh, um, the the personal um, experiences of these children and why they left their countries um, the horrors they face along the way and then the horrors they face once they get here um, so so you know to use glass uh glasses transparency and you know uh put these these uh i mean the the stories and some of the, the exhibition that i had shared these stories of the children but the actual uh presentation of having a life-size child uh representing one of these immigrant uh children a sculpture in clear glass really speaks to that fragility and also, um, but also the, the, the facelessness, the, you know, we don't know these children's names, we don't know who they are. Uh, so, so there's a level of, um, you know, we, we don't know them personally, there's no face to the, to the, to the story. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, so I, I, I felt like glass was the best way to convey that and to, um, to to allude to the idea that that these children are invisible basically yeah and fragile and fragile Jaime I um I also sort of understood so you came to Pittsburgh for this residency 
and now uh, you're here. So I wanted to hear a little bit about your experience. Yeah, so um, the way this actually all came about was um, my wife is originally from Buffalo and uh, she wanted to move near her family. And so, so we agreed that we would come uh, east for a few years to, to just get a feel for it. And so we, uh, we, we prospected several different uh, cities, but my only stipulation was uh, we have to go somewhere that has a glass place or somewhere where I can work with glass. Um, so we, we went to a, a lot of different places to see just the, the cities and, and, you know, like Chicago, we went to Corny, we went to Rochester, we went to um, all these different places, Omaha. And, um, but when we came to Pittsburgh, we, it just felt very comfortable. It felt like, you know, this feels like home, you know, this feels like, like we can, we can live here. Um, and, and the Pittsburgh Glass Center was just so inviting and very welcoming and, they basically welcomed me with open arms and, um, uh, you know, helped me get a, a residency and, and a, a grant with the Pittsburgh Foundation that basically culminated in, in a solo exhibition uh, within the year, basically. And um, so the relationship, it just felt like it was meant to be, really. So it's been it's been very great. and. And all the friends at the Pittsburgh, uh, in Pittsburgh and at, in the different foundations, like the Pittsburgh Glass Center, I mean, sorry, Pittsburgh Foundation and Opportunity Fund, and um, they've been all very supportive. Uh, I also, once I got here, I started doing volunteer work with Casa San Jose, who is uh, a, a nonprofit organization that works with the immigrant community. And, um, and that just felt like, you know, they needed people helping and it just was, it felt, it felt uh, really comfortable and really natural to, to be part of, of that organization as a volunteer. And, but now the uh, I was able to, to, to um, collaborate between the Pittsburgh Glass Center and Casa San Jose and get them together. And uh, Sister Janice, who was, who was a director while I was volunteering, came and talked at my exhibition. We did a talk together. Um, and um, now, uh, sorry, last year before the before COVID, we actually started a program where we were teaching uh, underserved kids from Casa San Jose community, the art of glass blowing. So um, that's something that I, that I started in LA was working with underserved kids um, and, it, and it started in LA working with uh, Watts in Watts in South LA in the Watts community with an organization called Watts Labor Community Action Committee, where I partnered up with them and started a glass blowing studio and ran that studio for about four years before they um, before I they had to shut it down due to uh, to funding. Um, but but I, I was working with Latino children and African American kids teaching them how to blow glass for free, basically. And from that, a lot of beautiful things happened. Um, um, <clears throat> I feel like, um, you know, this glass blowing is, is, is a very expensive medium and it's, and it's, um, it's very rare in, in underserved communities. And um, it, 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 
you know, I found that it's a life changing, it can be life changing to some of these kids, uh, introducing uh, the art of glass going to some of these kids. So it's something that I do because it's only, it's what I know how to do. So I'm using my, my skills and my knowledge to share that and uh, make it accessible or trying to make it accessible to a larger community. And um, so here in Pittsburgh, that's something that also I started to work on and um, currently um, also got a grant with the Opportunity Fund to uh, start a program with underserved kids here. Um, and, and I'm thinking maybe in the Braddock community um, or I'm not sure yet. I just, right now I'm just kind of waiting for COVID to kind of settle down so I can sure. really jump in and, and uh, start something more, uh, more concrete. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I feel like it's, it's such an exciting medium because uh, there's a little danger you know, almost yeah. involved. So I feel like it must be so exciting um, for kids to, to have a chance to experiment there. Yeah. Empowering. I had a question about your um, experience of having a Latinx community in Southern California versus in comparison to the Latinx community in Pittsburgh. Um, I, I'm a Pittsburgh native and I just the way that Pittsburgh talks about itself is a very specific kind of way of defining the culture and the peoples that, that, that make up the city. So how have you found how the Latinx community defines itself, talks about itself, represents itself, and then how it is represented um, in the city, in the region. Interesting. That's a very interesting question, <laughs> and I wish I had. I have. I wish I had a better answer, but um, th I think that they're less vocal um, than people in LA or the community that I grew up in in Boyle Heights. Um, Boyle Heights is is where I grew up and where where I was born and grew up, and um, the, the the Latino community in Boyle Heights is very vocal, very politicized, very. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an activist community, you know, fighting gentrification and very aware. It's kind of like the last, the last kind of desired area that was a working class community that had been probably the last place to be gentrified. And they, they are still, you know, I mean, I think it's inevitable, but they have held off the longest and it's partially in part because of the, the, the activism and the, uh, the, uh, politicized, a community that that understands what that means to bring in yeah. big companies and to bring in um, all the different factors that contribute to gentrification. Um, so I'm still, you know, I'm still new here to Pittsburgh, and I hope to to find that constituency and 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 um, you know uh, and be able to answer that question better in the near future, hopefully, <laughs> as I maybe start my program and start. Uh, having those relationships, um, I, I definitely look forward to that. Just curious, the impact for you or any of it under this past four years? Well, it's, um, I think it's become a bigger and a more important issue. Um, you know, I, I, I think the statistics are that before Trump, no child had passed away under custody for 10 years. And after he took office, I believe there was seven, uh, I think right now it's seven children that have passed away under custody. Um, 
and a lot of them for very simple yeah you know things that could have been easily avoided like just a, a simple flu um, a cold so, yeah yeah so it's 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 tragic and i believe it's a, a humanitarian crisis and it's kind of become obviously a lot worse since trump took office and um so i believe that that the point is a little bit more important to make um yeah <clears throat> i think that the the exhibition was really well received um um we we got amazing write-ups from um the post gazette and uh local you know pittsburgh magazine and um all the other local magazines uh wrote about the show and even the mayor came to see the exhibition um so it was it was um you know i think it we we we, we got we got <clears throat> a lot of attention and i think it's great because i feel that this is an important uh issue that people really need to to be more aware of and not really kind of just listen to what they see and uh, what they hear in the news um, and really kind of investigate and in this exhibition i think gave them a whole different perspective the perspective of the actual immigrant child and um i think that was important i i, I really got that from a lot of the audience that that was really yeah a big impact on them I think because your work humanizes them so much and puts us in almost a more such a more direct relationship and like humanizing children isn't something that we, we should have to do. They sh it's just so incredible, like how far off we are from what should be the center anyway. But um, Trump has done such an incredible job at dehumanizing people on an everyday basis. So I really appreciate that about your work because it's so important. Thank you. You know, the three of us have this project of ours, and uh, we come from different backgrounds, but we're, I guess what we have in common is we're also trying to um, bring light to issues through art and, and through conversations. And um, I just wonder if you have any suggestions for us. Not really. I mean, I, I am kind of a rookie at all this. I'm I, I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not an authority at all <laughs> with um, giving that type of advice. I wish I, I, sorry, I wish I could. I just don't feel like I, I have the right knowledge. But I, you know, I mean, the only thing I do is just try to do what I can as a person to, you know, with the tools that I have, um, with the knowledge and skill that that I know that that is my profession and my um, specific set of skills, um, and then just use and then figure out a way to use those um, to help people and to to guide them and uh, give them something that they've never had before. Um, and I think that's just you know if I can I guess maybe that's my piece of advice is that no matter what kind of artist you are, um, you can always offer something to somebody you always have something to offer somebody and it is those instances that kind of can really help change someone's life really that can really impact a kid somewhere that doesn't have that guidance i know that when i first started um designing i really wanted to make really beautiful dresses 
And that was what I really wanted to do. <laughs> Uh, but somewhere along the way in graduate school, I realized that I couldn't, like, just making pretty dresses wasn't enough, that there had to be um, meaning behind it. it, had to be sustainable, it had to have an impact where everyone involved is um, better off as a result of making it and wearing it, that there has to be a value that is above and beyond the dress because if I don't make a dress, the world continues on without me <laughs> making dresses. Um, so how do you go from that individual drive as an artist who wants to create something to someone who actually wants to have an art activist practice or a, a service um, as part of their practice? Um, because not every artist does that, obviously. <clears throat> well, it's 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 a little it's a different mentality i think um i feel that artists <clears throat> artists um struggle just to survive and to produce something so they can just be alive and eat and pay rent and um so it's so it's um it's it's been a struggle just being an artist period um so that's been a difficult challenge to get to the level where i can actually give back and and, and <clears throat> I'm in a position to be able to to do that. Um, and so so it's been something that I just I guess it's been an intrinsic part of who I am um, my whole life, and it just seemed natural. And um, there's a there's an artist, uh, he's a performance artist, uh, Guillermo Gomez Pena. I don't know if any of you ever heard of him. Uh, he's a good friend. Yes, he's a good friend of mine. And asking him for advice, like what art, I'm kind of stuck, you know, I want to, what should I make? Like, I don't know what to make. And he said, just do what you know. You know, it's like whatever feels natural and comfortable to you, that's what you're going to thrive in because you understand yeah. it better. And it feels, so that, that advice was like, you know, the most amazing advice that I still kind of carry with me um, is just kind of, um, you know, you understand things at a whole nother level when, when it's something you feel comfortable with and it's part of who you are. What do you do when it's not working? Like when you're, because you're not by yourself, like I'm sitting in front of a sewing machine and I could fake a seam. I could make a mistake and take <laughs> out the stitches and no one knows. But if you have like four or five people in this class studio with you, it's like, oh baby, <laughs> you can't fake that. So what do you do when you mess up? You know, my whole my whole career, like from early on in in glass blowing, I had always I had I have always, and this was kind of to the detriment of all my professors because they, not all of them, but some of them hated. Um, I, I didn't fit into that mold of, you know, do your drawing, do whatever's on the drawing. Like I couldn't do that. I I basically had to go from here to the to the glass like directly. Um, and, mm -hmm. and I got into a lot of trouble for that, <laughs> but it really trained me to have that, that kind of intuitive, um, and have that process and just kind of go with it. And, and, and it's it, like you were saying earlier, it's like a dance. It's, it's, you really kind of, um, get sucked up into the process and you just get lost in it. And, um, you know, the, the, I'm not, I mean, pieces break, the, the pieces fall. Um, 
sometimes, you know, when I know it's not, it's like, it's either going to break or it's not. That's, that's kind of the way it works for me. It's like, there's very seldom in-betweens. Um, it either, you know, I'm either going to say, okay, throw it away. It's not, it's not what I want it. Or it'll fall because of a mistake or, you know, I'm always trying to push the envelope. But I guess my question is, I've just been thinking about it for all of us. And I, to me, it's like, we just do what we can do. Just like Guillermo said, like, do what you know. Um, and his work is so, he came through Pittsburgh, actually, and I saw a lot of his performance work. Um, but I am wondering if you had any thoughts about where we are failing right now as artists in this moment of, I would say, either revolutionary moment or we're about to head into a revolution or, or maybe it's a pause before it. But do you feel like as artists, we're just, we just have to keep making our work and that is where we, and, and affecting people on an individual level like you do. And that is how we do it. Well, I, I feel that um, art has its, its own influences when, even when it's not kind of directly um, trying to make change or impact. Um, I feel that, uh, you know, mm -hmm. art is, is amazing to have around and anybody that does beautiful, even just beautiful things, you know, beautiful objects um, can make somebody's day better uh, or can put a smile on somebody's face. And that's, that's something that, um, you know, that, that is needed. And those little, those little impacts can build up and have a larger impact. So, um, you know, if you can make somebody's day better then that's, something you know um i think that's what they teach in buddhism you know it's like um just smiling at people uh is creating that 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 energy and um so yeah i can't you know i can't really see i feel that artists have enough on their plate um you know to ask them to do anything more <laughs> but um yeah i mean uh, I think in general, just I feel people just, you know, need to be made aware of things that are going on. That, um, it's just it's just so difficult when you have all these um, news sources that are that have uh, ulterior motives, and it's hard to get the right information or, or the real information. So, um, so you know, that that's I think the biggest challenge is is even for artists to if they're, they're trying to say something is how do you know what the right information is how do you know i think that is something in today that i see as as being a big challenge so you know anytime with my work um i don't try to make assumptions of anything i actually have the source speak for itself so if that person is telling you directly what they went through then there's no misinformation there. That's that's fact coming directly yeah. from that person in his own hand, in his own writing. Um, so you, for you to read for yourself and and make your own uh, assumptions. Um, so that's what I that's what I try to do is just kind of share that information in a way where it's accessible and in a way that um, you know. So 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 yeah, I, you know, I, I try to stay away from the politics, even though. People will say that my work is political. I don't think it is. Mm -hmm. 
I don't see it as political, which is kind of contrary to what the mainstream might say. Um, I, I, I feel like I'm making work that's, you know, that humanizes. Um, so maybe that is, that is a political act in today's time. Um, it shouldn't be. So I don't choose to come from that perspective. <clears throat> what we talk about at other border wall is um, we're trying to build bridges instead of walls and bridges instead of borders. So I was wondering um, what wall or border have you encountered that was a challenge? And the opposite of that, like what bridge have you encountered that opened up something for you or helped you in your life? So what was a border or wall and then what was a bridge? Oh my God. There's so many. <laughs> There's hundreds and hundreds. Um, I, I, um, I mean, there's been there's so many. I think um, there's been racism. There's been um, just it's been a it's been a struggle. I feel like being an artist and and getting to the point where I am in my career. I feel like it's 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 been a struggle the whole way. There's in it and it it's been riddled with challenges um, and walls, if you will. Um, but I feel like there has also been a lot of people that have kind of helped guide me in my career and have also um, um, made me feel like my work mattered. And I think that was really important. And um, there's there's so many people in my life that have have helped me from day one, you know, my, my high school teacher, Ms. Vinny, um, you know, uh, in undergrad, it was Mary White. Um, there's just been people throughout my whole life that have been there um, to support in, in what I do. Um, in LA, when the Watts Labor Community Action Committee ran out of funding, I did a Kickstarter to raise my own funds to buy equipment to start my own program. And I reached out to everybody I knew, like, you know, to, to raise these funds. And a lot of people came out and some, some collectors came out and contributed. Um, so there's also been collectors that have followed and supported my work throughout the years, which, which is very important as an artist. Um, so, you know, I've, I've been, there's been a lot of struggles. I have had to work really hard. I feel like I've had to work twice as hard or maybe more. Um, but there's have also there have been really lucky also mm -hmm. to have the support, but also, you know, what I try to teach my students is to to be to be in a position to be able to acknowledge when somebody's trying to help you. Um, to 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 be in a position to acknowledge when when you have an opportunity is important mm -hmm. because um, a lot of these kids don't know what that looks like and they've had far little and far far be between so um it's important for them to to recognize like hey this is a really big deal you need to kind of uh -huh. listen to this because um you know it can open up doors for you and um just just trying to i feel like i've been lucky to to understand and acknowledge when those things were in front of me and uh, so I can really be able to take full advantage of them and be present and um, and take it, you know, be in a position to take full advantage of, of those opportunities. So, yeah, like, 
once again, I don't know if I answered your question, but. You <laughs> definitely answered the question and it, it made me, you made me think. And um, it also made me think about this, what you were saying about not recognizing when something is an opportunity and what, and what that looks like and, and, and having kids and other in others who don't know and don't and don't see it because it hasn't happened and they don't expect it to happen and um having that openness and the ability to understand that this is a door that's been open that i can now walk through and nothing bad is going to happen to me if i do or if something bad happens i can i can readjust and address that as mm -hmm. well um there's that sometimes that, that 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 fear of trying and that comfort of being in this place that is um it's not safe, but 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 you know what that looks like. Yeah, and and, it, and I feel um, you know with some of these kids, I see a lot of skepticism. They're they're just kind of like they don't believe it, or this is too good to be true. So what you know what's the catch? And <laughs> coming coming from a from that environment myself, you know, I I'm able to connect with them and make you know make them see, hey, this is just something that you know, that I want to share. You're, you're giving them that option uh, to try something and, and maybe embrace it or not. And that's, that's kind of up to them. You know, when somebody puts their heart and mind to it and you give them that opportunity, what somebody can do with it, you know. Thanks yeah. so much for being a part of this. It's an honor to talk to you again. And I'm just glad that we were able to at least virtually introduce you to the team. Um, just really grateful for all, all that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm honored to to be invited, and, and thank you so much for having me on the, your podcast. And I look forward to listening to them and all the other ones you come up with in the future. And that was the Other Border Wall podcast. Thank you for listening. We look forward to the next time we all meet. Stay tuned for more every two weeks. Thank you.